Today's episode of GM Street is brought to you by Yahoo Fantasy Football. Don't just be a fantasy football commissioner. Rule as a Yahoo Fantasy Football Commissioner. Yahoo is the number one fantasy site for commissioners. Yahoo has spent the offseason making serious upgrades to enhance your experience so you can get your squad together and rule the season. And when the season is over, as commish, you pick the punishments. So what do you say, commissioner? It's time for you to rule. Start your league now at yahoo.com slash gmstreetfantasyfootball. And we're also brought to you by Halo Top ice cream's biggest game changer with halo top you can enjoy all the flavor and deliciousness of ice cream without all the guilt halo top is less than 360 calories per pint but is delicious and creamy just like the ice cream should be halo top is packed with 20 grams of protein per pint they have over 20 incredible flavors to choose from like vanilla beans cinnamon roll even pancakes and waffles finally you can stop avoiding ice cream and enjoy halo top Halo Top is available nationwide. Find your pint at halotop.com or follow them on social media at halotopcreamery, halotop.com. Now let's get into GM Street. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is July 30th. It is Monday and on the line in New Jersey, the great Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm good, Tate Frazier. Sam Darnold signed. It's a big thing. It's a good day today here in the great state of New Jersey. Everybody's jacked about it. Yeah, everyone's very excited. Uh, the news came out. The, the big headline going into the week, uh, this this NFL week, was uh, the two holdouts between Roquan Smith and Sam Darnold. The, the big news before we got on the air here is Sam Darnold signs uh, for the amount of $30.2 million, uh, a $20 million signing bonus, uh, one of the riches in Jets history. Um, and the contract is fully guaranteed. And then obviously, you know, Sam Darnold now gets into the fold with the Jets QB room. This is good news for everybody that that is a fan of gangrene and just Lombardi. I know you're heading up to Jets camp today. Um, what 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 do you you know what does this mean you know overall for the Jets? I mean, is this, this is obviously good news to get their quarterback in the room? Yeah, I think obviously it is. I mean, look, let's face it. I mean, nobody wants to miss time, but what happens at training camp is they always go back over the first three days of training camp are usually what they review during the last mini camp. So everybody said, well, Darnold's got to get there on time. You know, once you get past three days, then it gets to be a problem. But I think Darnold, obviously he's pretty smart, knows what, knows what they've installed. And now it just comes time to get reps. Uh, we re- regroup in on what he did before. So, you know, and this is a good move for the Jets. I mean, obviously they need to get done. It should have happened a long time ago. You know, there's always sticking points on language. We'll talk about that more about Roquan Smith, but the reality of it is, is the Jets needed him there, and he needed to be there. And uh, now he officially will be there. We're, we're talking about training camp. We've been out uh, of commission for the past couple of weeks. We are back now to to catch you up on everything training camp. And and one of the biggest things that comes out, we hear all these little stories that you know sort of surface in terms of how people look in training camp. You know, you may have heard that Andrew Luck, you know, his confidence is up. He's looking great. You know, you've heard about Deshaun Watson, um, you know, looking like a star in this league. You've even heard, you know, you know, smaller storylines like a Tavon Austin is lining up with the ones with the Cowboys and. You know, John Brown is looking great for the Baltimore Ravens, and Joe Flacco's having the best camp of his career. And I, I say all this to say, Lombardi, this is all the stuff that comes out of camp, but what really matters is game reps, and uh, that's when the talk really comes to fruition. And, and so how much should we take uh, these news stories that come out in, in training camp? You know, I would take very little of them. I mean, if a guy makes a great catch, if John Brown makes a, catch, a great catch at practice, he has one catch during the practice. Man, but what a great practice he has when the game <laughs> tape doesn't indicate it. Look, the reality for training camp for everybody that's involved is that you have to have good practices to help you get reps in the game. 
but you better play good in the games to make the team. And I think what happens so often, two things happen. I tweeted this out over the weekend, Tate Frazier. Two things, and I've been a part of this my entire career in the NFL. You start training camp and all the scouts will scurry together and they'll all start talking and they'll say to themselves, you know, we're going to have a lot of depth on this team. We're going to have to cut some really good players. And then the next conversation will be, you know, we're, we're going to have to, I mean, I, I, I don't know how much more talent that we, I mean, we got really, it's going to be hard to cut this team. And really all they're doing is falling into this thing, which, which, you know, has been talked about in business and, and, and economics is called the endowment effect, which is basically when you over, when you buy something that you do and you own something that you love more than anything. And so therefore it becomes your property and then you evaluate it way higher than it should be. And that's what's going on right now. There's a lot of endowment effects going on in the NFL because what's happened is everybody thinks, oh, we got a great team. For example, Olivier Vernon is having a great camp for the Giants, which I don't doubt he is at all. But for me, on the other side of Olivier Vernon would be, does that mean Nate Solder's having a bad camp? Because Olivier Vernon should be going against Nate Solder on every single rep. So that's got to mean that Vernon is dominating Solder, who was the highest paid tackle up until a couple of days ago. Now, that to me, that's got to be the concern. So, you know, this whole I've had good camps, I have good not and all that, it really just plays into the people's self-evaluation and their own biases. And that's why we see so many bad decisions. I mean, by the middle of September, all these guys that had great camps, they, they, might, not be in a, they might not be on their team anymore. Yeah, and it, it goes back to that old adage, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Uh, I think that plays into some of the stuff that comes up with training camp. Uh, I mean, like, let's talk about Huey headlines. I mean, that's one of the big things that is coming out about Baker Mayfield is exceeding all expectations, but it is believed that Tyrod Taylor is a shoe-in to be the starter on day one for the Browns. So, I mean, it, it ends up being one of those like narrative PR battles a little bit, too, where you're trying to get good P, good pub for guys that come out there. Like, the, the first few days, Mitchell Trubisky, you know, people were saying he looks great, and then, you know, this past Sunday, a story comes out that he's been throwing too many inter- interceptions, and now that's the, the the headline that's coming out, and it, I, I think the best thing to do right now is just sort of keep your head in the sand and, and wait till you see these guys on the field, right? Yeah, I mean, it's way to keep watching play. I mean, look, Huey headlines is to me tremendous. I mean, first of all, Jimmy Haslam comes out with a statement that we're going to see the real Huey headlines now. That's really great. I mean, after 32 games, we haven't seen them yet. I mean, really, you know, you give any great coach a bad team, he's going to figure out a way. I mean, Lombardi took over the Packers in 1960, found a way to win seven games. They were the laughing stock of the NFL. You know, I mean, and so he, he found a way to do it. I'm not comparing Chewy headlines to Vince Lombardi, bite my tongue, but the reality of it is, is coaches can make a difference. I mean, John Gruden's going to make a difference in the, in the Oakland Raiders. You know, A, he's got an easier schedule, and B, he's a good coach. He'll make a difference there. Now, can he win a Super Bowl? That remains to be seen. But to see the real Huey headlines, and then Huey, to me, just puts, once that headline came out, then he did exactly what he always does. He starts talking way higher than he should because Baker Mayfield, he's already appointed to be the backup quarterback. Now he's saying he's exceeding expectations, which lies into the question, well, if he's exceeding expectations, why doesn't he start? You were 1-31. in 31. Why are you going to play Tyrod Taylor, who's never really done it? He's been in the one playoff game. Why would you play him and not the guy you picked first overall in the draft? Nobody follows up with that question, though. If he's exceeding expectations, Jay Fraser, why doesn't he just go ahead and start? 
And it comes back to the value. I mean, we talked about this, uh, you know, dating back to the draft on, on on GM Street is, you know, when you take a guy number one, obviously you are valuing him to be a guy that you are, are willing to start day one. And that, that comes into the larger question of, you know, what they did with that number one pick. But if Baker, you know, in their mind is exceeding expectations, he's obviously made, uh, you know, the, the media rounds. He's done a good job with handling all those sort of press and the questions. And there seems to be some sort of... Uh, positive, you know, atmosphere that's going on in Cleveland with all these guys saying they have a real chance to to now contend for a Super Bowl. Obviously, this is this is even July going into August, so that you know a lot of that is just fodder. But I, I do think that they have done a good job at controlling the the positive press coming out of Cleveland, which, you know, you know, Huey headlines, that's all he's about right now, you know, just just after the first two seasons. Ass, though, Dave Frazier is just gonna bite him in the ass. I mean look, he'll go play in the first preseason game and say he plays really well. Then how is it not the case that he shouldn't start. Like, what are you saving him for? If you're Huey Headlines, what are you saving him for? Because you, you think you have to win right away? Well, if you've got the owner's complete confidence, like he just gave you, said, we'll see the real Hugh Jackson. I mean, the real Hugh Jackson was in Oakland. He was 8-8. Eight eight. Remember that Hugh Jackson that, that, that was had eight wins and all of a sudden everything fell apart? I think they were like 6-2 and two, and then went 2-6 and six over the last eight games. So, I mean, we've seen Huey. I mean, I don't understand it. Yeah. So, to me, it's like, if he would have been a great coach, he wouldn't have been 0-16. I defy you to tell me one guy, whoever. I mean, Belichick took over the Cleveland Browns in 1991. We gave up 459 points the year before, and we still won five games. You know, we won we won six games that year. We're 6-10, and 10, but, he, but we're terrible. Like, we're just horrible. Bill, Bill Parcells took over the, the New York Jets. They were 1-15. He went 8-8 eight eight in his first year. And if Keyshawn, if Keyshawn Johnson catches the pass on the sideline in Detroit, they probably make the playoffs. Well, I, so like, I, 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 mean, I, I I'm going to do the Huey headline right now for what you just said. Huey headline would say, based on what you just said, that Hugh Jackson has been compared to Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick by Mike Lombardi. That's the Huey headline that would come out of that. So that, that's what we're dealing with in Cleveland. You know what I mean? He he's going to he's going to he's going to. I, I, I grant you that. that's a North Carolina education. Despite <laughs> me in the ass. He's going to spin it. I how got he can. it. No, that's good. He's going to spin good. it out. He can. No, but it, it doesn't make any sense. And all this PR. I, look, I know we got to cover the teams, and I know training camp diaries are important, and I know who looks good and who doesn't. I mean, but. There's a graveyard out in Alameda for guys that made all Alameda. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Al Davis had a, had a bunch of guys that he anointed after training camp, after minicamp. But you've got to be able to show it against top-level competition. For example, if you're a young corner and you've watched the routes the receivers run and you studied after the OTA days a lot, then you see these receivers run routes. You'll cover anybody because you know the routes that are coming. But once you get competition against competition where you don't know, then you get a little bit of a problem. For example, nine on seven drill. This is my favorite of all time. Nine on seven drill. The scouts, they can't wait for nine on seven drill. They go herding over there like it's a free buffet, <laughs> right? They go all, everybody goes herding over there like they're going to watch something revolutionary and they're going to evaluate. They got all their pencils out and they're going to evaluate the nine on seven drill. Who did good and who didn't, which is a nine on seven drill, which is an inside run period. Okay, here's the problem, Tate Frazier. The nine on seven drill is a run period, period. Okay, you know it's run. So you've taken away one dimension of football, which is run or pass. So now you know it's run, you play the run. And so really all you're evaluating is a player's toughness in this drill. You're not evaluating anything else. You're not evaluating where he made a tackle or he didn't make a tackle. You're evaluating toughness. And I think it's a real slippery slope you get on when you start going out to camp, especially when you've practiced against these guys for so long and you're really evaluating. You're trying to teach them. You're not trying to evaluate them. Evaluations have to happen in the game. 
Yeah, and you take out uh, the anticipation factor of that of that whole thing, and that's one of the biggest parts of football. I want to ask you about a team that uh, they've really had no news come out of camp, which is, you know, sometimes, as they say, no news is good news. But the Houston Texans is a team that, you know, obviously we know some of the, the, the star players that are there. Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, was very excited about this camp. J.J. Watt is in camp. Deshaun Watson is camp. Whitney Merciless is in camp. Uh, they're all in West Virginia working out. Jadavion Clowney apparently is, you know, working his way back. Uh, he had offseason knee surgery, and he's looking like he is going to be ready to get back and start participating in drills uh, very soon. So you, you just look at Houston and you talk about there's really no headlines coming out of there, but all these guys are healthy. And you talk about this top he- the, the talent that is at the top of this roster. I mean, you know, that's a team that no one's really, you know, sort of under the radar because there is no news, but it looks like all things are pointing uh, for, you know, north for the Houston Texans right now. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. And when you look at them, I mean, look, they, they are, they're coming back. They got all their players back. So you know they're going to be much better just by the, just by the nature of what they get back, right? So they get all their players back. Plus they, you know, they end up and they, they play, I mean, they play a schedule that I think is conducive to what they have to, to play with. I mean, so they play the 32nd easiest schedule in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Their combined team that they play against are 116 and 140. So, to me, that team has a d- distinct possibility to really rise above because they're playing such an easy schedule. The second easy schedule in the league is the Tennessee Titans. They made the playoffs last year. So, you know, you combine this. Plus, Watson, I think, is one of these guys that is never satisfied. So he's back early. That's the other thing I think that's been pretty remarkable is, is how quickly guys have recovered from these ACLs. Watson, he gets hurt. He's already back on the field. Dalvin Cook's already back on the field. I mean, Carson Wentz got hurt. Tate Frazier in December, and he's back on the field. It's really remarkable how quickly they're coming back. Yeah, and then you see, you know, an injury, you know, like the shoulder with Andrew Luck and how long that took in that entire process. And and you think maybe, you know, one of those injuries may even be worse than the, AC, the ACL injury now that uh, we've had so much, uh, even over the past, you know, five years, it seems like that, that injury is not as severe as it was. I mean, dating back to when Adrian Peterson came back and everyone was so bewildered by his ability to bounce right back after tearing his ACL. It seems like that's, you know, sort of become, become the norm a little bit. I want to talk about Luck, uh, the the big thing that's coming out of camp is that uh, he, he's connecting on deep strikes again. Uh, he's throwing the long ball. Uh, his shoulder apparently looks healthy. And you talk about that division with the Texans and the Titans. And obviously, if you have Andrew Luck and the Colts come back, the AFC South is something to watch, right? There, there's a lot of storylines going into this season where you know a lot of teams are trying to to get back on top of that division. Plus, we got the great Blake Bortles down there in that defense, which we <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, I forgot be about Blake. Good. I'm sorry, Blake. You know, you you left Blake out. You left the key component of the, of the AFC South. I mean, look. I, everybody has told me all along that Andrew Luck was going to be healthy start of the season. And I mean, that's been consistent. That's what they said during the interviews to coaches that they talked to. They were very confident that he was going to be a starting quarterback. Now, is their team better? I don't know. I mean, obviously getting him back makes them a lot better. Are they going to be better on defense? That remains to be seen. There's still a long way to go and they got to protect him. And I think they'll be smart with the football with them. And he's got to be smart, not running, you know, because one thing about that shoulder, you know, he hurts that thing again, and it's it's it could be a career-ending type of injury. So Drew Brees went through this. He was able to endure. He came back from it. Remember, he flunked the physical in Miami, and he's and he's been back ever since. I often wondered, Tate Frazier, what would Drew Brees have been like if he would have signed in Miami and Nick Saban would have stayed? How history would have been rewritten? That is a very, you know, very bizarre thing to think about because, you know, Nick Saban doesn't get much credit for being a guy that develops quarterbacks either. So if you have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, Drew Brees with Nick Saban, maybe he has a whole different uh, 
Well, it'd be good for the SEC, right? Everyone in the SEC would be very happy if that's how things worked out. So, <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I mean, Les Miles probably still be the head coach at LSU. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. A lot of people would have jobs. Mark Rick would still have a job probably with Georgia if all things played out that way. But uh, you know, that that's history. That's how it played out. Um, I want to ask you: Is there anything else from camp? Just you know, you've been driving around to camps, talking to some people, um, just seeing how things are rolling out. Is there anything different this season uh, with the NFL? It seems like there's you know a little bit of a newfound excitement with some of these guys. I, I've seen a lot of positive press coming out of camp with guys saying, I mean, from Cam Newton on down, you know, saying how excited they are to be back on a football field. OBJ is one of those guys going into a contract year, but still talking about how excited he is to be out there on the field. Um, is there anything that really stands out to you from what you've seen and what you've heard uh, just going around camps? I, I mean, I was talking to somebody who's in another sport. He's a coach in basketball. He went to the Vikings camp the other day. He went to the walkthrough and then he went to the, he went to the practice and he just was talking to me about what he was, what, what you know, he was observing. And he was stunned by, A, the amount of fans that were actually standing there at the walkthrough. And then he was even more stunned by the amount of fans that went to the actual practice. And he's like, it's like one of these things that people just don't want to talk about. But obviously, football is really a popular sport. I mean, when you can get people to come to a walkthrough, and you can get people to come to a practice in the middle of, this, of July and the heat and all that, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, look, New England, I mean, you couldn't, you can't, the first couple of weeks in New England, you couldn't get an empty seat in the stadium in that little field there when they practice just to watch the guys practice and hope to get an autograph. I mean, the great thing about football being back, the Hall of Fame games this weekend from now on until it freezes here in New Jersey for a long, long time, we got football every Sunday, which is great. Um, I want to ask you about Patriots camp a little bit, and this is one little note. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, you know, ended a press conference uh, abruptly when asked about uh, Julian Edelman and uh, his his personal trainer Alex Guerrero, um, and and that became you know sort of a big story. It, it seems like drama just follows the New England Patriots Lombardi. I, I don't know how they avoid it, but uh, it seems like every single offseason there's something that comes up, and this seems like the new thing that Tom Brady will be answering for the rest of the season. Yeah, I don't think it bothers him. No, I think they just move on to the next one. I mean. You know, people keep asking Belichick about whether he's going to talk about Malcolm Butler. And look, my my view on that is just move on. He ain't going to talk. I mean, I don't know what happened. I don't think anybody really knows other than Malcolm <laughs> Butler yep. and Bill. Yep. And Malcolm Butler saying he doesn't know. So, you know, my sense of it is, is, is you know, the things, the noise that comes out of there, they do such a good job. I mean, in that case, you know, Brady kind of got mad at the reporter because he tried to link Alex Guerrero to the, the suspension for, Julian Edelman, which, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to do. So Brady just kind of walked away from that, which I understand. Mm-hmm. But the reality here is is that no matter what's played out in New England, they're just really good at dealing with it. They get coached on it every single day. You know, I talk about it in my book about how they're in the media. You know, that that's part of their daily job. And to be able to educate the players on, on the media is part of how you help the players become more professional in what they do. And if you just let them start talking like, you get some guys, we're going to the Super Bowl, we're doing this, we're doing that. All it does is hurt your team. you got to control the message, just like Huey, Huey Headlines does. He, he does a really nice job of that. He controls the message. Yeah, always. It's not quite like uh, when Rex Ryan in you know, 2009, 2010 was yelling uh, at the opening press conference that they were going to win the Super Bowl. Um, but it's <laughs> it's a little different than that. But I want to talk about the Chicago Bears and, and what's going on with uh, with with their number eight pick, uh, Roquan Smith, uh, out of Georgia, the linebacker out of Georgia. They're going through a contract dispute, and uh, head coach Matt Nagy this weekend let it slip that it was over the league's new helmet rule uh, that the, the, this could subject players to ejection for initiating contact with the crown of the helmet. Um, and apparently that was the the big reason for the holdup that that's going on right now with Roquan. He is now the only you know guy that's really holding out uh, because of this. 
with Sam Darnold signing earlier in the day. We mentioned the top of the show. I want to just talk about what, what what this means, like just in general, with Roquan and what it means for the Bears and how this is this is not really controlling the message, right? This is all getting leaked out and it's getting a little ugly. Well, I think what's happened here is this very simply is the Bears want to be able to protect themselves against suspensions, which is which is their right. It's it's you know like Josh Gordon, for example, you know he's been suspended and missed so much time that whatever signing bonus he's got from the Browns. He owes that money back. So it's an offset clause in the contract. All players have an offset. So if I give you $5 million for a five-year contract, Tate Freezer, and every year it counts a million dollars of that five-year contract. Now, after one year, if you start missing games because you get suspended, you owe me a prorated bonus of that money back. Mm-hmm. We'll deduct it from your salary. We'll deduct it from future. But whatever it is, we're going to deduct it because you – violated the rules of the contract over the proration of the signing bonus, even though we gave you the signing bonus initially. Now, what the Bears are trying to do, to me, it sounds like they're nitpicking. It sounds like they're trying to get money back for a call that happens on the field, a suspension call with the helmet rule, which I think is really going to be hard to officiate. I think it's going to be hard to play, and I think it's going to be creates a huge problem for how Rokon Smith plays. He's so physical in terms of what he does. I think this is really the Bears just trying to really split something that's creating a problem that shouldn't be a problem. And, you know, I understand where they're coming from. They want to protect themselves. If the guy misses the game, he should give his money back. Yeah, that's true. If he got suspended, don't disagree with that. However, on a rule that's called on the field, we watch it every Saturday afternoon watching college football. There's some of those guys that get thrown out of the game for calls that we're not quite sure of. And I don't know how they expect the player to move his head out of there. So, I'm with Rokon on this one. I think that's a little hairy. Plus, he's got this going for him. All the other players in that in the area, you know, don't have that. And when other players don't have it, that kind of lends itself to believing that the Bears are the outliers here. Yeah, and they're it's trying to set a new precedent with with this decision by the Bears to put this in the contract. I mean, this is sort of a new thing. I mean, under the new CBA, before that, you know, we saw guys like Phil Rivers. I remember he, you know, he had to hold out for a little while. And there was some rookie contract stuff um, that that was a little strange under the old CBA. But now, since 2011, we haven't seen many of these things, and and this is something that the Bears are doing that has to do with the new rule in the NFL. So it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, obviously, Roquan's now missed eight days of camp already as a rookie that, that he's already behind the eight ball in that sense. Nagy seems to keep, you know, putting it out there that, uh, you know, guys are getting reps and they're just trying to, you know, you know whatever co- whatever coach is going to say in the situation, which is we're going to play with who we have out on the field and we're gonna, hopefully that'll get figured out by Ryan Pace and those guys in the front office. But, I mean, do you see an end in sight here or is this something that will keep going back and forth? I think there's got to be an end in sight. I mean, I think the Bears are digging their heels in. And if they want to dig their heels in, that's fine. They can. I think there's got to be a compromise here. I, I really do. I think, to me, I would. To me, I don't think it's fair for the player. But even if you want, if the Bears dug their heels, then I would say after the second time or the first time he's suspended, you know, let's at least review it. Let's have something to where we can have something because you're trying to do crystal ball this thing. You're trying to look into the future and make a prediction. Which I don't think is accurate, and it's going to screw it all up. So I would take a step back and say, okay, after year one. We're going to put the language in and we're going to review the language again after we do that so we can have an ongoing conversation about this. To me, to put your feet in in the cement on this one without really having all the information, there's an old saying, people equally informed seldom disagree on contracts. I think this is one of those cases. 
Yeah, and and if you're Roquan and you're his agent uh, in this situation, no one has seen how this rule will play out. I mean, there was a, a it came out a statistic. They looked at over I think forty thousand NFL plays um, from last season, and I think three of them they deemed uh, worthy of uh, suspension under this new helmet policy. So it is few and far between the, the the plays that they believe will be worthy of a suspension. But like I said, we we have not seen this actually uh, play out in in an actual NFL season yet. So it, it's hard to already you know agree. To something when you have no idea what it's actually going to look like. Absolutely. And I think that's what they should do. They should table it and get a handle on it so they can find out really where they're coming from on this. And we have seen the NFL uh, rule changes become a topic of discussion plenty of times before. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how Todd Gurley's new deal will impact the future deal of defensive tackle Aaron Donald. Quick break to get aware from our sponsor, Udemy. Udemy is the largest and most accessible online learning marketplace with the most courses, teachers, and opportunities for students everywhere around the globe. Udemy has over 65,000 courses from coding to comic book art available anywhere on their website and app. Whether you're at home, at the desk, on the computer, or using their app, Udemy gives you access to new knowledge wherever you are. Udemy is a great learning tool and has helped students all over the world improve their skills, their careers, and their lives go to ude.my slash nfl right now and get 90 percent off when you sign up for classes you will not find a better price so sign up for classes now using my link ude.my slash nfl and get access to life-changing classes for 90 percent off and make sure you download their app for your phone so you can stream your studies wherever you are that's ude.my slash nfl ude.my slash nfl back to gm street all right we're back we're going to talk about uh todd Gurley. um he gets a four-year 60 million dollar extension with 45 million in guarantees that was reported last tuesday um this is obviously you know kind of resets the running back market as as things go um but it also the the big discussion that came out of this was not really about what it would mean for Le'Veon bell and what it would mean for possibly david johnson or ezekiel elliott or alvin Kamara, any of these guys uh what really came out was what does this mean for aaron donald a guy that they really uh the rams have been trying to figure out a, a massive long-term deal for him and they're trying to figure out what the market would be for a defensive tackle um just looking at this and what it means for Gurley, you know what is what is donald's what is the money that is there for Donald now after this Gurley deal? Look, Gurley's got two years. He's two years from free agency, right? Yep. And they gave him a deal. They gave him a deal that basically guarantees three and a half years of the money. So he's two years from it. And so he didn't have to wait like Donald's had to wait. And then he gets three and a half years of guaranteed on Sunday. Now, look, I'm a huge shot Gurley fan. Gurley made this offense go. To me, Gurley is the key to this thing. He made Sean McVay's offense go because it was so heavily on play action passes. It was so it was so much about how to get the ball out of, out of Jared Goff's hand quickly. Gurley was great, averaged over 10 yards on a pass catch, way more than Tavon Austin, who, by the way, Tate Frazier, having a good camp down in Dallas. Having he was a great lining camp. up with the ones. Just yes. so you, yes. Yeah, just so you know, he's having a great camp. Tavon's had a great camp, you know. Anyway, that was just it was just kind of how they used them in Los Angeles. You know, like Sean McVay doesn't know how to use them. Anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. that being said, so, you know, the, the like, for example, Brandon Cook's got a new contract too, but he only has $2.5 million of new money in the overlapping years and pushing most of his money out to 2019. So it's like two different contracts. But for me, if I'm Donald and I see that Gurley, deservingly so, got three and, a half, three and a half years of guaranteed money. I mean, when he signed the contract, he got $21 million signing bonus, okay? And so they converted 2018 
team base salary into it. So he's got all that guaranteed. And I just think to me, now you can work that way and say, okay, for me to sign a deal, I got to have at least four years of guaranteed money. Now, what's the yearly average? That remains to be seen. And I think this is why you're having a problem up in Oakland as well, because I definitely think Khalil Mack's not going to sign a deal until he knows what Donald's going to sign for, because he wants to be the highest paid defensive player. And so it's basically it's a Donald domino effect. So once Donald finally gets you know the deal that he he expects to get from the Rams, I mean, you know, Les Need has been you know pretty vocal about uh, he understands that they have all these big contracts coming up. You know, Cooks, you just mentioned him, and then obviously they do Gurley. Goff's still in his rookie contract, and that goes through twenty twenty. And then Sue's probably not going to get a long term deal in Los Angeles. We wouldn't expect you know Peters sort of the same deal. So Donald, I mean, they have you know it all set up for Donald to get this big money, but that. There is no market, you know, there is no precedent right now on what he should get, right? I mean, Sue did come out and say that he thinks Donald should get more than he got, um, if, if that means anything. But, but but what is that number? You know, what is that guaranteed number for Donald? Well, you know, look, Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox is the highest paid defensive tackle in the league. You know, he, he's got, uh, he got, but he only got 35.4% of his money guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So he's made, he got $102 million. He averages $17 million per year. So that average is where Donald wants to start. And I would say Donald's thinking of a number in the 20s. Yep. So he's want, say he wants $20 million a year. He's going to want $20 million a year. Four years, he's going to want $80 million guaranteed. And he's probably going to want 120 over, 120 over six. 80 and 120, that gives him 20 a year. And that's quarterback money there. And then you're going to bang it right back and say, okay, well, Let's go back to what Von Miller got, or, you know, Von Miller's, you know, he's making 19 a year, so that takes him above Von Miller. But now Khalil Mack's going to want 20.5. See how this all works? Yes, yes. See how it all kind of stems and works? And I think that's really what you're looking at. And, and because of the way they did the girly deal and put so strong guarantees. Now, everybody has to understand that the, the guarantee in a contract is usually for skill the first two years of skill and injury, but there's always a mechanism in the contract, roster bonus, dates on the contract, where the contract becomes fully guaranteed. Not because the team doesn't want to pay the player, more because the team doesn't want to have to fund the money right away. So what they do is they go ahead and they put these, they put a, they put an injury guarantee on it, and then it triggers into a skill guarantee later, so that it becomes fully guaranteed. So that they don't, the team benefits from not having to fund that money immediately to the league office. This is why all these these contracts now are kind of getting a little bit more difficult to deal with, and why there's whole, why there's problems because of the funding element. This funding element goes back to the early '60s when teams could only fund teams can only defer a million dollars of guaranteed money. They had to fund everything else. Well, it's stupid, right? If you if you owe a player, say you owe a player a lot of money, and, and your cash flow is not great, you got to go to the bank and borrow money to pay him. It doesn't work, but that's the way the leagues operate. Yeah, that's. Uh, I I want to talk about just what that girly contract. I mean, because it's probably going to end up being a bargain in the end, right? It's sort of similar to what Gronk got because he had two years left on his deal, and they just extended it out. And now, you know, Gronkowski, everyone, you know, he he even brought it up this offseason. He may be looking for a new deal. Um, I, that 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 seems like a similar in the same vein that will happen with Todd Gurley at this point, right? Well, I think that it is, but look, Gurley's got some injury history to him, and I don't want to jinx the poor kid. You know, and but at running backs, I think you can never predict where they're going. I don't think running backs you can predict at all. So I think you have to be real careful about how far out in advance you go. Gurley's always had a little bit of a durability issue with him. 
So I think that, you know, there are similar in the sense that if he continued to play at this pace, he would probably outplay himself. But I don't think, though, in this case. I think the same thing with Barkley. I know Barkley's having a great camp. Everybody loves him. But the one thing about a running back, that you know, the more time they're playing, the less effective they can become because of the wear and tear on their body. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's talk about Des Bryant. Uh, that became a big story uh, over the past weekend. He, he came out um, and ripped the Cowboys for their play calling, and then he called uh, linebacker, middle linebacker, Sean Lee. He called him Snake Lee. Um, and this all got picked up, and it, and it kind of just you know shows and uh, it, it sort of explained the, the the process behind Dallas and the Des Bryant breakup and where we sort of are right now. Um, Des is still trying to find a team. There's been some some rumblings that the Browns had a little bit of interest at one point, and then you know Antonio Brown comes out and says that he wants him to play in Pittsburgh with him. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Des Bryant uh, still does not have a team um, at the moment. But but just coming out and doing this against the Cowboys and against Sean Lee, I mean, it, it's just because a whole a whole situation with with, with Dez and, and the Cowboys. So what does this even mean right now, and, and what does this do for Dez's market just doing this sort of stuff? Well, I mean, look, here's the thing about Dez's market. You know, nobody wanted to hear it, but when we talked about it last year, Dez has been, you know, Dez has been a jump ball receiver that can only line up in one spot. Now, Dez was critical of the scheme, saying we came out in the same formation all the time. True. But most, some of that is because Dez requires to be in one spot because he's not great at learning the offense. Remember, they covered up for Dez. This, late for meetings, quite often they covered up for him. All right. So that being said, you know, he didn't know, he couldn't, you can't move Dez around. Mm-hmm. And so this is another part of the endowment effect here. This is another part of the Cowboys overvaluating their own players. I mean, last year, Jason Witten should probably be great in the booth. That's probably where he needs to go. It wasn't the same receiver, couldn't separate. And what happened to the Cowboys from one year to the next is what you have to watch about the Rams is teams study you in the offseason. You're so good on third down. You're so effective doing different things that you say to yourself, okay, you know, let's study them. And they learn how to play them much better. And then the Cowboys came out with the same stuff they ran the year before that was so successful. Didn't quite work. And their players who they've over-evaluated, I mean, look, they don't cut Dez until, the what, the end of April, right before the draft. They cut him then. I mean, beginning of April before he had the bonus. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, it was an obvious thing. They should have cut him. They should have cut him after the first day. And now Dez is learning the reality that people don't view him in the league. Now, ex-players view him the same way. He says, Brian, you know, you're going to hear all that all the talk. Oh, man, he says, Brian, he can play. But you put the tape on, he can't separate. You know, you put the tape on, it's a jump ball. Can he run with the ball? Yeah, sure he can. Can he do some things? Absolutely. Is he worth $16 million a year? Well, we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is he worth? The Browns are sniffing around. I mean, the Browns are going to pay Jarvis Landry $16 million a year. They're going to play him on the outside. That's not going to go well. Jarvis Landry can't play outside. He's got to play inside in the slot and use his quickness. But Dez can go outside. People are just going to jam, walk up on him and jam him. And I thought they're going to play him in press, and they're going to force him to separate. And he's going to be in tight coverage. He's going to make jump ball catches. And he didn't make the 50-50 catches. There, there's the problem. So, to me, this is all playing out the way we thought it would play out. Dez overvaluated himself. The Cowboys for their own mistakes, over-evaluated Dez up until a certain point, and now both of them are unhappy. But is there a team that takes a chance with Dez and just says, at least I know you know, a team has to match up with him on the outside just for fear, maybe even just in the red zone, you know, if he's just, uh, like he has special packages that are put up for him to, to go in and do those 50-50 jump balls, and that, that's all he does. He's basically a red zone threat uh, for a team, and I don't know what that value is, but but is there a team that takes a chance on Dez, or do you see these sort of, you know, the, the stuff coming out now with him going back at Sean Lee and some of these guys, and that makes you, you know, defer and not go after him? I, that, that's sort of the question. I, I, I think Dez, I think, I think teams are... 
we're interested in this. And I think people put tape on and said, well, wait a minute, time out. Wait a minute, <laughs> are we really going to think about doing this? I mean, he can't separate. I mean, it's like a little bit when Decker, Eric Decker last year, saw after the Jets got to be signed with Tennessee, and Tennessee thought they were getting, guy never could separate against cover two. You know, when you can't separate and you can't show explosive movement in your routes at the top of your route, the top of the stem, it's hard. Quarterbacks don't want to wait for you to get open. We're not playing in the backyard. You got to be able to make all the throws when when you see the guys coming out of his cut. That's not Dez. And I think to me, I've talked to a couple teams. One team was interested in Dez. They put the tape on, fell apart. I talked to another team that just didn't think it was going to be worth it because now not only do you have to manage Dez, you know, his intelligence factor. What can he learn in the offense? Is he going to be on time? Is he going to be a good play? Is he going to be a good team guy? All those things. You're off. You're sitting there saying, you know what? We're better off finding a young receiver. We're better off finding somebody else than we are going with that direction. But does that go back to the endowment, uh, you know, effect that we were discussing earlier, where some of these teams have these young guys in camp and they're sort of falling in love with them, but then once the season hits, you know, the market and the value for a guy like Des may go up if some of these young guys aren't able to step up. I mean, that, that that's the that's no, both no sides doubt. of the coin. And I coin. think that's what Des has got to hope on. He's got to hope for an injury and he's got to hope for a team that's counted on a young player that didn't come through. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's what he's got to hope for. He's got to hope for somebody that knows him, knows him from Dallas time, that will, will come in there and say, I think this guy can do that. He's lost weight. He's more explosive, yada, yada, yada. I think it's going to be a tough road. And I don't think he's going to be as, it's going to, I don't think it's going to be as, It'll be popularly received in the media like you got Des Bryant. I mean, look, we signed Reggie Wayne when I was – we brought Reggie Wayne in for a workout. He looked half, he looked good in the workout, and after about four or five practices, it was pretty clear Reggie Wayne couldn't do it anymore. We made him a horrible mistake by doing that because we gave him money and we thought we needed a receiver when sometimes when you do that, you're better off just being patient and just letting it go because the name sounds good. Hey, we just signed Reggie Wayne, but the reality the player can't play anymore. I think Des can still play to a degree – but the other issues make it even more more difficult to manage. Yeah, and you got to find the right fit for a guy like that. Uh, those are all great points. So uh, we're going to wrap this thing up uh, with, with one uh, just uh, just a somber note. Um, Tony Sperano, um, a guy that is you know, I mean, you can put your sunglasses on now. I mean, a guy that has been um, synonymous with with that look and that no nonsense outlook on football. A guy that you know won the AFC East with that eleven five record uh, in two thousand eight. You know, the one time in the past fifteen seasons that the Patriots didn't win the division. Tony Sperano was at the helm for the Miami Dolphins, running the Wildcat. Uh, he's the first coach in NFL history to take a team to the playoffs after a one win season. Um, you know, Huey headlines should maybe you know take take some of that and see if it could happen. Uh, Tony, there you go. There's Tony, a perfect. I rest my case. Yes, Tony Sperano is a a man that loved the game of football and a man. And that uh, on this program, we really respected what he did and brought to the table um, just for the game in general. So we just wanted to say that. And I know, Lombardi, you have something to say about Tony as well. Yeah, I mean, it's horrible. I mean, he got 56 years old in any profession that's too young. You know, and I think what happens to a lot of coaches and coaches that listen to this podcast, I, I think it's really important that, you know, the one thing I learned in my life, it took me to the end. It took me to him. So I actually wrote a book to learn the value of this. But it is really important to spend an hour away from your desk. You get more creative, you get more positive, and you stay in better shape. Your mind works better. And I, unfortunately for Tony, you know, I remember when Tony was walking around the field before games when he was the head coach and he got himself in shape. And unfortunately, with the heart condition that he had that he didn't know when he went to the hospital, which is remarkable, Tay Fraser, because when you're a, when you're in the league and, and, and you have the doctors at your availability that you have, I mean, it's really 
You've got great doctors. You've got the first care treatment. You you check yourself into a hospital because you have chest pains. I mean, usually the team doctor's coming over to check on you, and I feel badly for the whole family in this case. But I think the bigger message here is our condolences to Tony and his entire family. But the reality here is you've got to take some breaks. You've got to get away from you got to work out. You've got to take some time. I think most people think, well, if you're away from your desk, you're you're, you're, you're slacking off or you're not working as hard. Well, you got to make sure that you do that because if you don't, you'll get better ideas by doing that. You take an hour and invest in yourself. It's worth three hours of work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this has been another edition of GM Street and I, uh, I'm very excited for season two with you, Michael Lombardi. Me too, Tate Fraser. 